The Bazaar is a podcast that deals with mature subject matter that some listeners may find offensive or upsetting. The Bazaar is not recommended for any listeners under 18 years of age. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to The Bazaar. Hello and welcome back to The Bazaar. I am your host, Alicia Grek. This is a podcast called The Bazaar, and it deals with everything that's bizarre. We're talking ghosts, monsters, unsolved mysteries, serial killers, and really who knows what else I will pull out for this podcast. (laughs) Okay, let's get freaky up here with all those super uncomfortable things. Episodes of The Bazaar are kept moderately short for your lifestyle. We are all very busy people. I'm here to give you the fast, hard facts about things that scare me and things I might find unnerving and, well, bizarre. If you have an episode recommendation or something of that nature, please feel free to slide into our DMs on Instagram at thebizarrepod. I'm pretty much open to anything. Please don't abuse that. (laughs) In other recommendations, if anyone has any good podcasts, documentaries, or true crime books you think I should check out, please feel free to send that over as well. Information for today's episode comes from Wikipedia, A&E Crime, Indianapolis Monthly, and the podcast Redball, which I definitely recommend checking out. Today we are talking about the Burger Chef murders. Just after midnight on November 17th of 1978, a teenage boy pulled into the parking lot of Burger Chef, where he worked in Speedway, Indiana. The lights were on so he figured his co-workers were still inside cleaning up. Deciding to pay them a visit, he walked up to the back door and noticed that it was open, which was odd. When he entered, he realized that the store was empty and the cash register drawers were on the floor. His friends? They were gone. By Saturday morning, the bodies were discovered of Jane Fred, Daniel Davis, Mark Flemons, and Ruth Ellen Shelton. What happened that night in the fast food restaurant of Burger Chef Speedway, Indiana, is still unsolved. After the teenager who discovered the scene called the police, the store manager came in and determined that $581 in cash was missing. Although the police didn't assume the employees had been robbed and kidnapped. At first, police thought the four young people working that night, 16-year-old Daniel and Mark Flemons, 17-year-old Ruth, and 20-year-old assistant manager Jane, might have taken the money themselves and gone for a joyride. I don't understand this theory, and neither did anybody else at the time. The theory that the employees had gone for a joyride didn't make sense to anybody, since Shelton and Freet's jackets and purses were still at the store. Even if they had gone for a joyride, they wouldn't leave their purses behind, or they would have came back for them, which means to me that something really awful happened. The manager of that location also thought that it was very out of character for these fairly responsible employees to steal the money, let alone leave the store with the back door open and the lights still on. When the police called the employees' parents and discovered that none of them had come home that night, then they started to suspect a kidnapping. Even then, police made some crucial errors that might have permanently derailed the investigation in the future. As Buddy Ilwanger, a Speedway police officer who worked on the case, later put it, we screwed it up from the very beginning. 
Investigators didn't locate the missing employees until late Sunday afternoon, when an elderly couple in neighboring Johnson County called to report that they had found four dead bodies while walking through their large wooded property. The location of the bodies was just about a 35-minute drive away from the original crime scene, and it only made the whole case more mysterious. It had already seemed strange that the kidnappers, police suspected there were more than one, had taken only $581 in cash, but left $100 in coins and the two girls' purses in the store. Now, investigators found money and a watch on the victims' bodies, both things that the kidnappers could have taken if financial gain was their main motivation for the crime. So, if it was financially motivated, why murder everyone? The fact that the kidnappers had murdered them in three different ways seemed to suggest that they hadn't planned on murdering anyone in the first place, which could reinforce the financial gain spin on things. Kidnappers had shot Davis and Shelton multiple times in the head, neck, and shoulder areas, and stabbed Freet twice in the heart with a hunting knife, whose handle had broken off and is now missing. Investigators wondered if the kidnappers had only meant to rob the store and had taken the employees hostage when someone recognized them. Police believed that one of the employees of that burger chef knew the kidnappers personally, had seen them before at some point, or otherwise come into contact with them. Because Flemons was covering for another employee's shift that night, investigators speculated that the kidnappers hadn't planned on him being there, and he was the one who recognized them. This could explain why the kidnappers singled him out to beat him, if that's what happened. Flemons was also the only black employee that worked that night. The three others were white, but the police didn't investigate this as a racially motivated crime. The second crime scene had led to potential to provide DNA and other evidence that was no longer possible to collect at the restaurant because it was cleaned right after the police got there. But yet, once again, investigators compromised the crime scene. I really don't want to get into the habit of blaming law enforcement, but all of this is just so incredibly frustrating to me. All right, let's go back to the night of the kidnappings and the murders. On the night of the murders, a 16-year-old eyewitness saw two suspicious men in a car outside of the burger chef just before closing time. Both men were white and in their 30s. One man had a beard and the other was clean-shaven with light-colored, fair hair. The police were so sure of these people that they had suspects created in clay to assist the investigation. This was their first real lead, and they were excited to follow the trail. Later that year, a man in a bar in Greenwood bragged that he had been involved in the killings. Police subsequently questioned him, but he had passed a polygraph, claiming to have not been involved, and officers were unable to bring charges on other grounds. The man provided the names of others whom he suggested belonged to a fast food robbery gang, and whom investigators suspected may have been involved in the case. While following up in these leads, in Franklin, police officers spotted a man who bore a strong resemblance to the bearded man in the clay composite. The second that this bearded man was summoned for a lineup, he shaved his beard, which he'd had for the previous five years, the night before he was supposed to appear. 
a neighbor of his who had not been spotted by the original witness but who had been named by the Greenwood suspect, went to prison for robberies committed with a shotgun. Another associate by the name of the Greenwood suspect, who fit the description of the fair-haired man, also was imprisoned for other armed robberies of fast food restaurants. Even with this information, police could not do anything without confessions, despite offers of plea deals to any suspects not directly responsible for the killings, and without direct physical evidence of the involvement of the suspects in the murders, the police were not able to effect an arrest on any of these people. At that time, there was still some speculation about the murders that were tied to other crimes that had shocked the town over the preceding months, such as the murder of Julius Cyphers and the Speedway bombings. At the time, the perpetrator of the bombings was still on the loose. However, these cases were found to be unconnected to the November murders. Investigators tirelessly continued to follow leads relating to possible suspects as widely as Cincinnati, Milwaukee, Chicago, and even Dallas. However, they were not able to find any more promising leads or to locate the evidence they believed would be most useful. The firearm, the handle of the knife, and the chain used in the murders. Any suspected perpetrators have not made confessions to the police, though the son of the bearded suspect has told police that he confided in him that he had been involved with this prior to his own death. Ken York, one of the original investigators in the case, has noted that the deaths of the Greenwood suspect and the bearded suspect from an apparent suicide and a heart attack respectfully came suspiciously close after the release of the armed robber named by the suspect in the Greenwood bar. But despite thousands of hours of police investigation, as well as Burger Chef itself offering a reward of $25,000 to anyone who could capture the murders or provide information about their whereabouts, the attackers were never prosecuted, which leaves the case still unsolved to this day. Indiana State Police continue to hold the case open and reportedly have investigated the several use of new DNA tracing techniques developed since the initial investigations. They're hoping with new technology that they are able to finally piece together this mystery. Since that first eyewitness gave their testimony and pointed out the bearded man and the fine-haired man, that investigation has since fallen through the cracks. Police have moved on to new suspects, and it was pointed out that the eyewitness might have been wrong about what she saw. Eyewitness testimony is very unstable, and sometimes the mind shows you what it thinks it remembers, when really it doesn't. After time, memories deteriorate, shift, and change. During the summer of 2018, the community, as well as family and friends of the victims, raised money to plant four red oak trees in their honor. Each tree is adorned with a plaque with a short biography of one of the victims. The original monetary goal was surpassed within 24 hours. With the extra funds, a marble bench was installed and dedicated to their friends and family. On November 10th of 2018, just one week before the 40th anniversary, a small dedication ceremony for family and friends was held at the memorial site in Leonard Park in Speedway, Indiana. This past year has been promising for the case, resulting in new developments with DNA technology and with evidence. And by this year, I mean this last year technically. I still can't believe it's 2020 and it's 
basically February. Police released a photograph of the knife blade. The blade itself is four and a half inches, but the photo of the blade unveiled at a news conference was enlarged. Investigators want its image to make an impression on the public. They think it could jog someone's memory. The knife was broken off at the handle, and the handle was never found. The knife was removed from the body of Jane. Ruth Shelton and Daniel Davis were shot in the back of the head as they laid face down next to each other. Mark Flemons died choking on his own blood. He might have run headfirst into a tree while trying to run away and been knocked unconscious. This new evidence has been made public. It's clearly that there was no pocket knife used, but rather the kind of knife that would be kept in a leather sheath and worn on a belt. It was a statement. Police are hoping that this knife is distinct enough to stick out in someone's memories. Maybe someone knows someone who carried that knife, or has seen it somewhere before. Ever since they released the photo, tips have been coming in almost every day. The amount of evidence gathered over the years includes interviews with hundreds of people who have a theory or thought they might have seen something. The investigators' notes alone fill more than two dozen thick three-ring binders. It has been 40 years since the Burger Chef murders. To this day, they are still unsolved and a community is left grieving over the loss of these four individuals with no perpetrator. Indiana State Police investigators are continuing to actively investigate this crime and to follow up on all tips and information provided to them, said the Indiana State Police in a statement provided to A&E Real Crime. We continue to ask anyone with any information all to contact our investigators at 317-899-8510 or Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana at 317-232-TIPS. Thank you so much for stopping by the Bazaar on your Friday. As always, please rate and review. We are on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM, as well as other streaming platforms. But if you want to find one place to look for us, give us a follow on Spotify. Episodes come out every Friday, so make sure your notifications are on for that. Also, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TheBazaarPod. As always, stay safe. Peace out, nerds.